Good morning, Mr. TK. Good afternoon to somebody somewhere. somewhere. Somebody somewhere. Good morning to Mr. Doug Ford, my new best friend. Dougie, Dougie, TK. Dougie. You know, why is everybody Dougie. so upset? Are people upset? Yeah. They must not be uh, in development. They must not be one of Doug Ford's donors. <laughs> ah, That's the bottom line. That that is probably in fact uh, the case. Yeah. yeah. Listen, if you don't like what's going on in the city with building and construction, and you're a NIMBY, then this is like uh, the worst news you could possibly hear, right? Yeah, you're probably going to be pretty upset with uh, with this type of information. But if you are somebody who is realistic and competent then you're going to understand that there are a lot of um, uh, municipal barriers that are preventing us from creating more housing to be able to give people places to live, affordable places, right? So, I mean, at the end of the day, this is good for the average person, right? And the average person the does not know day, anything about development, Daryl. No. And at the end of the day, this is good for everybody. It really is. But you'll have... Uh, a, a segment of the population who will definitely disagree with that, that, you know, we're blocking people's views and we're creating shadows and we need more parks and we don't need more concrete buildings all over the place. And like, I just don't understand that position. Do you? I understand the position. Yes. And it's a, Tell it's a me. position. I don't get it. It's a position uh, that is out of ignorance. Mm. That's what it is. They don't look at the big picture. It's it's a uh, a self-centered type of perspective where it's like my backyard, my right. park, my street, my traffic, my right. quiet enjoyment of my property, right? As opposed to, you know, how can everyone else? So if I've got this great park in my neighborhood, right? And I'm upset because they're going to build a property nearby. That means more people will be at my park. Who am I to say that all these nice people who will be moving into the neighborhood shouldn't be allowed to enjoy, enjoy the same park that I enjoy? Sure. Right? Well, it's it, people, I, I think people don't necessarily have a problem with development. They just, they want it over there. They don't want it here, right? They exactly. don't want it like near them. They, they want people to have affordable housing. And they, I don't think these are evil people who just don't want people to live and be able to live in the city. They just 100%. They don't want it near them. They don't want the dust. They don't want the noise. They don't want the traffic. They don't want all the pains in the, in the butt. But they, yeah. I, don't, I don't think they realize the implications of their actions, right? Like, I don't think people really understand that that is, I mean, we blame the politicians, but at the end of the day, the politicians are following their constituents, right? I mean, they're trying to get back into office. And if if like, they weren't what? following their constituents, guess what would happen? They wouldn't have any constituents. They they wouldn't get reelected, right? So you know, this is the the democratic, uh, you know, policy and function of our government. That is why, you know, we are successful in doing the things that we do. And sometimes it's a barrier. It's sometimes why we're not successful because there's too many people have a voice, right? Which is another issue. But for well, the most part, the for the most part, because of the democratic process, 
people get to elect the people who are going to make the best decisions on their behalf. And so right now we need housing and we've been going in circles. This is like the bloody Scarborough subway system here. We need somebody to just come in, right? We need the Rob Ford of housing. Guess what? We got his brother, Dougie. All right. We got his brother, Dougie, got his brother, brother Dougie, Dougie on the Dougie. team. <laughs> yeah. No, but right? seriously, like yeah. Doug's going all out, balls to the wall. Like, I don't care anymore. We need housing. Yeah. I'm going to get you guys 150,000 houses a year. This episode is brought to you by Landlord. This landlord software is a game changer. You upload your properties, right? You upload all the information, income, expenses, timelines, mortgage details, everything that you need to have so that you keep track of everything in your portfolio. And as you go through real-time adjustments in you know, rent increases and uh, water bills and, and tax bills and everything else, they're going to actually give you recommendations on how to make your portfolio more efficient and it just breaks everything down for me in a way that i've never seen before like excel spreadsheets just don't cut it i don't think there's a better program or app out there for investors and it's free please click the link below for your free trial offer yes now listen How listen to this mindset that? that i have right now daryl listen to this mindset Ooh. if i had the power to decide on a development okay that would be permitted in an area where, you know, as of right now, it may be more difficult to be permitted for whatever reason it was. But I, but they said, TK, you get to decide. Now, am I going to go and choose an area or a development that maybe somebody I'm not too familiar with is organizing, somebody who maybe I don't trust, somebody who I don't really know all their background, somebody who maybe I don't have the same confidence in to be able to complete this development because my goal that I've been tasked with is to create more affordable housing and to give the people who voted me in more opportunities to live, you know, peacefully. Or am I going to go to my friend, Daryl, who I've witnessed over and over and over again, be able to complete the projects, be able to, you know, source the best materials to provide the highest quality of standard to ensure that when I can I when I trust Daryl and I say, Daryl, I don't have time to think about all the details. You handle all the details and make sure that at the end we have more housing, which is gonna create more supply and help the people who voted me in here have a place to live. Who am I gonna go to? The guy I don't know or the guy that I know and trust? A hundred million percent. And chances are the guy that he knows and trusts has donated to the campaign. But that's and just because we know and trust each other. I mean, I, I would donate to somebody that I know reason. and trust as well. Right. <laughs> well, listen, that's probably not, in fact, 100 percent the way things work, but it he, he, he will definitely pick people that uh, uh, are friendly with him, 100 percent and people that have a track record, 100 percent. And they just happen to coincide with the people that probably are supportive of him as well. And that's just the way that the system works right now. Don't. Don't forget, like when, when, when you have an MP running for, for a ward as ward councillor, um, like they only need 51% of the people to be happy with them, right? And this is, a, this is I think, part of the problem. Maybe it's the, the 51%. It, it, it should be far more unanimous for somebody to actually be in office, right? Like we've got an aging group of gov government. Like You think it should be more unanimous? 
How, how, yeah, you, should you, you should, I don't think more unanimous works. I think it's either unanimous or it's not. But so do you think, you think it should be unanimous? Is not unanimous? It's not unanimous, but you think it should be unanimous. We would never get anywhere that way. Um, well, well, guess what? We're not getting anywhere this way. So, well, so you got, you got to eventually, you got to eventually say who, who gets the more. And it's not 51%, Daryl. It's, 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 it's the highest percentage. You know, if everybody else has 10, 12, 15, 18% and you get 21% of the votes, guess what? You won. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. What am I even talking about? Yeah, that's yeah. 100% true. Yeah, yeah, so that's even worse because you get yeah. a bunch of meatballs to choose from and then you get two idiots, like lesser of two evils. Yeah, you got 13% of the votes and everyone else got under 10. Yeah. He's the he guy by who wins. eight votes. Yeah. But, but regardless, I mean, the, the system we've been talking about forever, it's completely flawed. It's an absolute disaster. And interestingly enough, like it will take somebody with iron balls like this to get this done. Because like, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I was actually trying to think of it like, OK, so we, we, we say the market's about 20 real estate market, about 25 percent of Canada's economy. Right. Which means. I think it was fifteen percent of the GDP. That was like, is it only fifteen percent? Well, you know what? Let's not debate about it. But regardless, what it's a huge part like of the GDP. Number. Yeah. Ontario, it's probably bigger than like as a percentage of Canada, right? So, will Doug Ford get reelected because of this? Like, is there enough supporters in in this market that this will kind of push him over the edge, or is this the thing that's gonna get him kicked out of office? I don't think there's that many people who are going to give two hoots about, you know, whatever policies he's, he's had to overrule. Uh, you know, there could be, I don't know how many people, a thousand, 2000, 5,000. Think about all the other people who are, you know, um, who are standing behind him for, for various reasons, how many jobs it's going to create. Uh, per perception is nine tenths of the um, reelection platform. Right. You just need to give people the perception that you're doing something right. Is that, you know, you're, you're right. going to be, you're going to be creating uh, solutions to the problems that are, are a part of the, of the, of the issue and are a part of the, the general consensus as far as what they want to see. So there's different platforms and housing is a huge platform. I don't think it's ever been true. We've got a guest today who's joined us and um, I'm going to bring him in to talking to him, yeah. because we want to get to the bottom of this. You know, we want to get to the bottom of everything. What does he know? What does who know? Our guest? Our guest. That's what I want to know. I would, I would, yeah, I'd bet a hell of a lot more than the two of us. That's for sure. How am I? Gentlemen. Welcome, welcome, oh, welcome. There he is. Well, Get we're doing fantastic. Daryl's on vacation, go. so he's in, uh, he's in uh, Guantanamo Bay, but uh, <laughs> he's, he's he doing like good. It. So there's a little background noise. <laughs> If I disappear, it was nice to know both of you. Yeah, he'll. he'll well, you've been getting in. a lot. You've been getting a lot of heat, man, on Twitter. So I wouldn't be surprised Who, if we're in Guantanamo. Yeah, man. No, <laughs> but it's okay. You like to hurt. stir the pot. You like to stir the pot. So it's always good to listen to your stuff. I uh, appreciate that. I, I truthfully don't mean to to stir the pot, but uh, he's unfazed. Guess, uh, he's unfazed. I'm, no, but I don't mean to do it. It just happens. Like things come out and they end up stirring the pot. Not in the way that I intend either. You know, 
I gotta be honest, like from grade one up until now, I have constantly heard, it's not what you say, Daryl, it's how you say it. So, but what are that's, you talking about in particular? <laughs> no, no, I, a lot of heat no <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say. I think, I think, um, I think a lot of the stuff you say does have validity. I think is the delivery. The delivery gets misconstrued sometimes. And obviously Twitter yeah. is that type of place where even I have to be careful how you word things because I can't always think how it's going to be interpreted anyway. But that's uh, that's neither here nor there, man. I just got to be careful. Daryl wears no muzzle. He's he's no, not on Twitter no. to, to you know please anybody, right? And that's I think that's the hang up with you know real estate brokers and mortgage brokers and people like that is they're mm -hmm. always thinking don't want to spoil my business. You know, I better, I better conform right. real quick. Otherwise, you know, everyone's going to judge me and, and I can be affected by this. And when that's yep. removed, that's when you start actually getting honest tweets about, uh, you know, what's really going on. Agreed, like Elon right. Musk does not worry about losing his job. He tweets <laughs> no. freely, right? Yeah. Case in yeah. point. That's the, and not, uh, of course, I am nowhere near the stature of an not Elon yet. Musk, but not I yet. have the, <laughs> not yet. Thank you, TK. I love you. But like, really, like, I, I, I really don't want to have that social filter like that everybody has now. And I, I'm, I see more and more people like revving up the filter rather than than scaling it back. And it's like it's 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 a little scary because we like in social media, we all seem to have more influence than we even recognize. Right. It, it, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like you could say. You could say it right and somebody will take it the wrong way, right? Yep. 100%. But, uh, anyways. But, by the way, welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Show. Yes. Welcome. Oh, well, thank we're, you for having me. We're rolling. We're recording. This is how it goes. Mm -hmm. I've Eat been following you forever. Like, I don't know when you started. I feel like uh, I started watching you the minute you started. I love, I love your show. I love your tweets. I love your TikTok. I don't really watch TikTok too much, but, like, I, I enjoy yours. You, it's an interesting point of view because he's uh i'm sure everybody knows but he's a cpa originally right like trained as yeah. a cpa so you've got that accounting background added to real estate which is pretty unique i think isn't it you know what so it's funny because if you look on twitter there's a bunch of us that have accounting backgrounds that are realtors as well but I guess the difference with me, so I started right around COVID because it was dead. So there was nothing to do. So that's when I started uh, going on social media. And honestly, I'll be honest with you. I'll be fully transparent. For me, the end goal with social media is to fully get off of it. I don't particularly enjoy it. No, I'm serious. I'm dead serious. I don't enjoy it. One explanation on exactly what that is. Yeah, yeah. I don't enjoy any of it, but I realized that if I want to make something of my real estate business, which is going great, social media is just one of those evils. You have to get on board and you have to try it and you have to go all in. Otherwise, there's no point. So I'm doing it with the intent to eventually just get off and just be entirely word of mouth and just work with the people nice. I want to work with. That's that's all I want. I don't want to grow the biggest team I have. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. But as far as the, the background, yeah, so I'm going to count by training, but um, I'll just give you a little bit of a backstory. So when I went to university, I studied accounting, but while I was in university, I worked for a builder, uh, a very uh, known builder in Forest Hill and Rosedale. So I basically learned construction and everything I know about construction and building from him back then. And he owned a bunch of multifamily in Side and Forest Hill. So I learned a ton back then while I was doing my accounting degree. 
So I worked for him for five or six years. And then I became an accountant. I work in corporate. I did all the fancy stuff. I traveled the world. I wore a suit all the time. And very early on, I realized this is not for me. Now, as that was happening and I was doing my accounting work, I always had a seat at the table on a bunch of construction projects. So uh, my wife's brother-in-law had a partner. He was doing toppers in East York. So, you know, you you pull the roof off a bungalow, you throw on a second story, rinse and repeat. So because of my financing background and because of my construction background, I was always involved. I had my hand in a bunch of these projects. So that, that went on. I did that for a while until 2014. And then in 2016, the same builder that I used to work for back in the day, he retired and he decided he, he called me up and he's like, listen, I need a finance guy. I want to build a licensed producer for cannabis. So I said, okay, that's interesting. And this is when it was starting out. Right. Yeah. So from 2016 to 2018, I was working as a corporate controller for a billion dollar company out of Europe. I was traveling the world and then I was using up all my vacation to basically start this cannabis business with him. So we partnered up, I raised 4 million bucks and then we built this facility, industrial facility east of the GTA. And uh, and yeah, man, I quit my job, but we did that. And then that was going well and then COVID happened. And that we realized with the cannabis industry, the way it is, Unfortunately, the way the government handles things here, it's uh, you will not thrive in cannabis. It just it's impossible. So you can survive. And kudos to all the guys that stay that they're still trying to build up businesses. But you have excise tax. You have so many taxes. And on top of it, the illicit market, they're doing nothing about. So you're competing with guys that are growing illegally or in the gray market. They're growing some really good quality cannabis. And I can't compete with them when they're working for cash and I'm paying a QA 100K a year and then I'm paying a dollar a gram for every single gram I grow. So in 2020, when COVID started, we decided to sell the business, which we did. And then as this was happening, I was also doing my real estate license up until that because my entire intent was all the money from cannabis was going to go into real estate. So here we are now. When COVID happened, I was bored. And then that's when I started posting on Twitter and I started looking more into the social media stuff and then... Here we are now. You made it to wow. the big leagues, the Canadian real estate show. Yeah. Right? <laughs> this is the highlight. This is the pinnacle. Hey? Yeah. Oh, oh, God. Sorry. I know it's That's awesome. That's a good that's, that's a good story. Yeah. And Daryl and I story. always talk about the stories that that matter the most, right? When it comes to somebody's business. The better the story, the better the intent, the better the person, you know, the more success you're gonna have. So all that background combined you can give some really great insights that many people couldn't to your clients, you know, whether they're buying, investing, whatever. Yeah. So this is effectively what my business has been like. I've had, I have a lot of repeat investor clients and for me getting the real estate license was just a technicality because I was already doing all these things. I've been negotiating with towns for million dollar infrastructure projects for my own builds. Like, so for me, this is license though. Like explain that to me. Like I do a lot of that same stuff and I never went to go get a license. I always thought it was a handcuff personal. So what I realized early on is for one, I've worked with many realtors in the past. There are good realtors, but as you see, my angle and the way I approach things is very different (laughs) than your typical realtor. So I could never get a straight answer on certain things. And it's not because the realtor was not telling me the straight answer. They just didn't know what I was asking. I, I couldn't articulate how I was looking at projects, right? So I yeah. just, I figured I have to get in it. I have to be on the ground floor because that's the only way you're also going to get the deals too. Like like word of mouth, like off market. Yeah. These things don't just pop up if you're number three investor on somebody's roster. And that's even how it works with me. Like if I have, if I have a deal, 
I have a couple of guys I'm going to run it by first. I'm not going to go tell some random person on Twitter, hey, here's the deal. Do you want it? It doesn't work like that. Everything happens offline. Yeah, exactly. So that's, I guess, a niche of yours, right? So one of the biggest things in real estate that I always was told and that, you know, it's still true today is be a specialist. Find something that you can be the, the, the go-to source for, you know, know more than anybody else in that space. And when people need to do that type of transaction, you'll be the guy that they go to. Yeah. So, so that's a great point. So that has been the niche and I'm still figuring out what and how I'm going to approach my business. Mm-hmm. But for example, I, I've, I've done commercial stuff for myself, industrial stuff. And like, that is a big boy gate. Like you have to have deep pockets. That is not like, Hey, you need a couple hundred grand. You need a couple million, like in order to like, if you, if you run into trouble. So for me, residential is much more comfortable. I rec- I like residential. The opportunity is just, it's kind of like no man's land. You're not competing with people with super deep pockets. You know, it's kind of like, and there's a lot more opportunity in residential. So I like it. And I like the investment side, but obviously you need to have regular income and that is the residential transaction in itself, right? Whether it's through an investor or a regular family you're helping. So I'm still figuring that part out. But you know what? For me, the interesting thing is, that, or the part I like, is that every single deal seems it's creative in its own way. Like there's always something, yeah, right? There's you never always do two something. deals the same. What? Exactly. You said As a something of- a second ago. What, what did you say? Something about regular income? What, what's that? So for example, if you're working with investors only, it's it's almost cyclical right like so for example there's there's times when a lot of them jump on deals like for example right now a bunch are kicking the, the kicking the tires on a bunch of deals but everybody's kind of sitting back right but then if i'm building a business that's to be sustainable you need your baseline revenue right and that is you can't only just work with investors so that is where niching down has an advantage but it's also a disadvantage because you don't have a, a steady stream of call it business so that that's just kind of like a point where I'm trying to figure out now myself. Like I know I like residential the most personally in terms of real estate, but niching down, do you work with investors only, or do you work with end users and investors or, you know, mm-hmm. how do you go about it? So that's kind of like what I'm dealing with right now, what I'm trying to figure out. Do you nice. deal with uh, pre-construction? Are you part of a big mess going on right now? Absolutely not. I've hated pre-construction since uh, I listen. I'm not going to say I hate it. I've never believed in it. So because I don't believe in it, I would never put a client into a pre-con. Now, that being said, the broker I work for, we're like a top two platinum broker here in the city. And I know everybody's platinum and VIP. Listen, I'm telling you right now, the Stephen Chow, my broker, like when it comes to access to projects, Is that we have access. Stephen Chow? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So, Yo, he's so a the monster reason, platinum broker. Monster. So specifically why Must I do everything right now. No, no, Sorry. no, no. Steven, no? Steven runs a tight chip. So w- I guess what I'm going to tell you is I, I joined his brokerage for the access. I wanted to see, like, if you're going to join a brokerage, you have to have an angle, right? So for him, for me, it was important to see this pre-con access. I wasn't sure. Maybe I would have used it I would, or maybe not. But for me, I just realized pre-con is not something, if I'm not going to buy it, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push it, you know? So it's as simple as that. So I would never put somebody in a deal that I don't believe in. So I don't believe in pre-con especially in the last two years. And I don't push it. I only get my clients fraudulent mortgages. That's it. Like, that's my niche. <laughs> right. If you, if you've got like all your you C4s and anyways done yeah. and good credit, I'm sorry. I can't help you. I, think <laughs> no. I only, but, I only work on the fraud oh side. Oh my God. Yeah. It's either pre-con or fraudulent mortgages, right? Those are the two. No, Pre-con. let's yeah, not put those two in the same basket. Pre-con has a lot of good agents where they do believe that these are good projects. The developers sell them. 
But I'd say anybody selling you a pre-construction project right now is not looking out for your best interests. And yeah, and that, that's not to say that, yeah, like, listen, Jordan, our mutual friend, I, yeah. I think he's, he's the man when it comes to pre-con. I've referred people to him. For sure. Because for one, and, and you know, for an end user, if you're looking for a specific type of unit, building, location, whatever, pre-con is right. But from an investment point of view, I mean, resale has been at, like, it's been where it's been at, right? Like, I put my money where my mouth is. Like, I bought a resale unit last year. Like, like I, and, and I have other people who have too, and I'm very happy with my purchase. But I would not have bought pre-con last year. And you know what? Maybe it's sure. going to work out for somebody. Maybe not. I don't know. But it's just Most not something not. I believe in. Yeah, I don't believe in it. <laughs> it's I, a listen, tough, I it's develop. A I, I develop properties. And I've been saying for a long time, I don't understand why people pay, buy, especially investors. Like, I don't understand why you would be an investor and you would buy pre-construction if you could just buy a resale unit now and rent it like tomorrow. Like, why would yeah. you not just start the cash flow right away why are you waiting for this appreciation as part of your business model it never made sense to me now an end user who has only so much money and they're young and they're you know they're planning for four or five years down the road it makes a little more sense to me but even still like yeah especially empty nesters i think so so uh i'm going to retract what i said anybody telling you to buy a pre-construction as an investment right now is probably not looking out for your best interest but there yeah, are some okay, end users right so you've been in your house for 40 years you've made a billion dollars on it 1700 percent return whatever it is <laughs> and now you're just waiting in for the that last one three years <laughs> in that you're waiting for that one unit you know, like that perfect yeah. unit and that perfect building and that perfect location. And all of a sudden a development comes up and it's everything you want and you don't mind right. paying premium dollars to get exactly the way you want it. Cause that's the only way you're leaving the house. You raise your kids in pre-construction might be a good option for you for sure. Yeah, I agree. There's no, there's nothing so wrong. There's gotta be a way to like balance it out. Like where you're not buying it so far in advance. Like there's gotta be a better way of doing this where the builders aren't like super at risk because they, they, they built it without a bunch of sales, but that the people aren't like out there for, I don't know, four to like eight years before they can take possession. It's it, it yeah. just, you never finance them. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's what do you just think quick... about what, uh, yeah, go you. Let's just quickly go. talk about the, um, the, the CBC marketplace here. Just touch on it. We've got a few other topics to get into today. Yeah, so, he did a. Did you see Vaz's uh, interview? Yeah, I saw. I saw. Yeah. So give give us your insight on it, just because we've got different listeners on our channel. Look, um, I, I guess my my takeaway here, I'm not gonna judge anybody for what they do because the the big eye opening thing for me is that. Here, here, let let me backtrack. My concern with this documentary is or investigation piece is that if it goes unaddressed. I think it's going to make the problem worse because you have just publicized something that is very easy to do that everybody's doing. Uh, that is my concern. And that means that people that don't do business right are going to steal business from those who do. So that's my concern, I guess, uh, first and foremost. Uh, but at the end, look, man, um, what can I say? It's very difficult to buy a house. So like, I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of people who have done this and you're desperate and the pressure to buy a house and own, be a homeowner is very big. So you know what? It's uh, Can I blame them? I don't know if I can. I'm not saying it's right. I want to clarify something. It is not right. But if at the personal level, you're not going to be held accountable. If at the lender level, you're not going to be held accountable. And then if at the regulatory level, nobody's going to hold you accountable, 
what do you expect people to do? Like, I can't sure. actually blame them. Mm. I can't blame them for doing it. I don't okay. think it's right. But what do you want? Like, you basically tell people, go ahead and do it. Go ahead so, and do yeah. it. Not only that, like, if you're self-employed, okay? Like, honestly, if you're self-employed, they make it almost impossible for you, right? Almost yeah. impossible for you. Unless you're running, like, a, a, a pretty big business and, you know, you're, like, not worried about taxes and like the, the thing's just rolling and you just don't want to have any issues whatsoever then maybe but like most most self-employed people or people that own small companies they can't qualify no matter what they do right so so and and this has been kicking around in my head for a while and i've been biting my tongue on it but the reality is is i think the reality is is Go check most realtors and mortgage brokers' paperwork for the houses that they live in, okay? And I guarantee you, you're going to see how big this problem really is because most of them are on stated incomes, right? Or most of them don't have that steady income stream where they can qualify, but they make good money, right? Am I, am I off base here? Uh, Again, I would I can't say speak. you're right. That going down in the self self employment channels to find to find mortgage fraud would be a lot easier than just like somebody with like typical T four uh, sure paid, paid jobs. Yeah. See, the thing is, there are more there are products out there for people like even for realtors, and I don't know how recent they are, but you can qualify on gross commissions. It's just you're going to pay a higher interest rate. That's something yeah. I talked to Sandra about. You're going to pay a point more, so which is not the end of the world, right? Where the issue is is people who are working for cash, right? And I'm not going to get into the type of occupation, occupations that are cash-based. We can all guess them. But that's who is cash-rich, but that, uh, they have nothing on paper to show for it, right? So that's effectively who's using it. Um, but again, back to my comment, like if if there's no product for them and you're not going to hold anybody accountable at any level, then what do you expect them to do? So I'm not, I, I can't hold anything against them. They're just, sure. they're behaving as the market is rewarding them to behave. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I guess I guess it's one of those things where you've got this type of system in place. The, the CBC Marketplace expose, I think the first one on real estate was 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 um uh off people were saying, oh, you know, there's an offer, but there wasn't really an offer. I'm pretty sure this happened. This maybe maybe not true, but I'm pretty sure that's what they did. And then they went around and they proved that people were saying there was offers, but there really wasn't any offers, or they were disclosing the content of offers, something like that. And then Rico did come in and they did revamp some of the process. They got us a form 801. Now you can have um, requests as a consumer to say, prove that there was offers. That just happened to me recently. They said, prove that there was multiple offers. We had to send in our documents to prove that there was other offers competing. The last one was steering, agents steering on commission. So they would say, you know, they proved that agents would not tell people about properties that were listed by like private or um, like um, for sale by owner type of companies or lower cooperating brokerage commission um, brokerages. And uh, they proved that that wasn't, you know, ethical and that agents were doing that. Nothing really happened in that regard. They did send out some notices and they did send out notices this week. Daryl, I saw one from Aria, pretty sure Treb did as well, that said, hey, guys, don't commit fraud. <laughs> like, I thought we yeah. taught you this already, but just don't do it. Don't commit it. It's not good. Um, but you're right. The regulatory body, Rico, has to come in and be like all over this. Like they've got to be like. I don't know what policies they at least hang someone like somebody. Somebody has to be hung publicly for this to deter some people. 
But this is what really happens, right? You get smart people that see the new system and figure out a way around that. Yeah. Well, let me, like let me, I, listen, this is not something I wanted to talk about, but it happened uh, a while back, call it a couple of months back. So I guess it doesn't matter at this point, the deal is closed, but here's something that happened to me. And you tell me what, what do you think happened? So over the summer, obviously it's slow. I, I have a, a bunch of buyer clients right now. So I'm out there kicking the can on some listings. Some I pick up, get a good deal. Some you don't, right? Explain this to me. So TK, you would know this. You use Broker Bay? Yep. Okay. So in Broker Bay, if you go on, on it, you can see, like once you book a showing, you can see other showings that have been booked, right? Yeah. So there was one particular listing I was looking at. It wasn't getting any traction. We were the only showing, like the, the second it came out, within hours, I booked the showing. We went, saw it. We're okay, we're interested. But I had an offer night. So then every single day, multiple times a day, I'm logging into Broker Bay to see how many showings are getting booked. Nothing. Place is yep. dead. My client's driving by. Like he was like, we're going to get this place. Place is dead. I think there was one more showing. Okay. One more showing. And then the offer night happened. So total two showings. Okay. Mine mm -hmm. and somebody else. And then offer night. Eight offers. Eight offers. Four. Okay. Four <laughs> offers. So this is the stuff that obviously is not talked about. And I look. I'm not going to go out here and die on a hill for this stuff. I can't prove it. I And I the, the biggest problem is even if you could, who is going to do what about it, right? That's the, the issue. Mm -hmm. But how do you get four offers on a place that had two showings? So this is, the, this is the stuff you're dealing with. And this is how you're then trying to do damage control with your own clients. So that like I tell them, listen, do not go over your spend because I don't know like the validity of these offers, right? And sure enough, it didn't sell. It didn't sell at one of the market. Then it sat and, I, no and, way. I, and then it picked up. The market picked up a little bit. There were a couple of weeks where it picked up and it sold. But point being is this stuff happens openly, right? But mm. you can't prove it. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, maybe I missed the showing. Maybe some, Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But yeah, you, like, you sound like a conspiracy theorist if you try to right. pinpoint realtors to their lies or their yes. deceptions, because it is really hard to prove. It's, it's, it's your impossible word versus theirs. So then you just yes. seem like, it's like, all right, you know what? Forget it about it. sounds like a couple of screenshots could approve this one. You no. never know, man. There's so many different no. variables. Like like a no. big one would be um, showing up on time, like a, a super common one, right? Like, did you show up on time for that showing? Did you show up at all for that showing? It's like, I swear I was there. And oh, you know, no, that wasn't my client. I was with them, you know, like different things like that, different scenarios. And it's like, we got it on video. It's just, just one, like, what are we going to do? Like, we're going to really like drop in the the PI investigator on this and, and try to make this, uh, like you said, hang your hang your hat on this. No, and that's, know, it's like, this is when it's an issue. It's an issue yeah. now because people are more desperate. I mean, look, you can even go online and, and sellers themselves will say, they will brag about my, my, my listing agent brought in extra offers. Like I have seen really? people. Yeah. People have bragged like anonymous, like forums and stuff. Like the, like yeah. people have bragged about it. And wow, th that's, that's kind of what you're dealing with. So for, uh, the best thing I can do as an agent to protect my buyers is just be very aware of this stuff so we don't fall trapped like spending 50K on something extra when we didn't have. Like that's the only thing I can really do. Yeah. So but how do you guys compete though with people that are doing it like this? Like how do you, how do your clients ever find a house? Like if you're up against somebody- They should never be a, basing a whole... their decision off of how many offers there are there. It should, it should always no, be- No, it's not the amount of offers. It's that okay. you're, you're up against people that uh, don't care what they pay, don't care how they 
you know, pay for it. They, they, they're willing well, let to them lie overpay. let them overpay. I mean, you know, you do your research, you educate your buyers. And when the time comes, you make a sensible offer. That's it. So, but the, eventually after months of like looking at houses, don't, don't the clients start to look at you guys and say like, maybe my realtors, it's not, it's not the case. I get it. But isn't that like the mindset starts going like, I can't get a house with this guy. I don't know what's going on. Maybe he's giving me bad advice. Everybody's, everybody's getting the houses and I'm not getting a house. I'll give you an example of how I manage it. So with, with I'm very data driven. So for the most part, if I lose, like I, I lost the listing, uh, what is it uh, this week over 15 grand. Okay. So it's, it's a small gap, but what I do with my clients is look with this one in particular is I I'm like, listen, you can have this house, but this is going to be the price. And if we don't pay it, like, and we went in with a lower, a lower offer. We came in 15 less than what I told them to come in at. And we lost it for that amount of money. So at the end of the day, as long as you're providing data that's consistent with what the market is doing, obviously, sometimes you're going to have a miss. Like sometimes I, there's going to be a time when I think it's 1.3 and it sells for 1.425. And I have no idea why, right? I can't do anything about that. But for the most part, you do have to show consistency. And then at that point, it's it's their choice at the end how much it's worth for them. If you can tell them, listen, the market value of this place is 1.3. If you want to offer 1.275, that is fine. But it's low probability we're going to get this house. And I usually explain everything to people in probabilities. I don't tell them, put in 1.3 and that, and you're going to get the house. I'll be like, listen, if you come in at 1.3, it's like 70% we're going to get it. Not even. Like I try to go 50-50 is a, a non-answer. I try to be a little yeah. bit more specific. It's like, but if you come in at 1.275, it's kind of like we're at 20%, 25% tops, right? Because you can just, because you can sense it, right? You talk to the listing agent, you, you feel them out and you're like, okay, if these guys' motivation is strictly price and some people are, they don't care about closing date, they don't care about deposit, nothing. They're just fixated on the price. They dig their heels in. Then yeah. that's what it's going to take. It's going to be the extra 15 or 25K. But not every single transaction is like this. So they're all different. You're always modulating. Well, just to uh, shift gears here, we won't have to worry about this anymore, Baz. There's going to be tons of houses because Doug Ford is building more houses for everybody to live in and all is going to be well. No issues. Yeah. 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 A bunch what, of rental nobody, supply. What's your well? What's your thoughts? What's doesn't supply fix the issue? Like if we did get to a place where supply was, you know, close to demand, wouldn't that make a difference? Look, so I haven't read the the full article. My understanding is they're going to allow, so it's going to be easy to convert something to a threeplex or a fourplex, right? Is that uh, I didn't what we're say talking fourplex, about? It's two is... and threeplexes now. Two and three. Yeah. So that well, that's, that's what the article said. Yeah, that's that's based on just you know one part of it right i mean just being that able to get the it, zoning yeah. approved right but then you got right. other issues in other areas where where you've got you know um official plan amendments that would be needed or or uh you know environmental or green green belt type of situations where you know down the road these all could be opened up a little bit easier to be able to build on which is you know daryl to that, your point that's part of it but there's also uh where, like they've said that where they're where they're mandating inclusionary zoning, they're gonna eliminate development charges, which is friggin' gigantic. Yeah. Like, if you look deep into this thing, it is incentivizing people to develop and build big time. Yeah. Right. If you eliminate development charges where there's inclusionary zoning, that inclusionary zoning, like at the very least, it's like a wash with the development yeah. charges that you that you're not gonna pay right maybe maybe you even end up ahead but that's gigantic 
and then uh, what what else was there? Uh, th th there's a lot of oh, eliminating the third party uh, 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 from community uh, decisions. So basically, you know, no more nimbyism, no more yeah. appeals from nimbies. Yeah, that's wow. that's huge. Yeah. That's a year off the plate of the big guys. There's a there's a meeting I was I was sharing this with Daryl in uh, in Oshawa where they're just having a community meeting before they even go to application because they understand how they need to make this efficient because they know exactly what the community is going to be doing when the time comes after the application. So they're just trying to get the community involved first and just to kind of figure out okay where where does everybody stand on this site. Then that way yeah, they can so base, I don't piss them off, right? I don't off piss the them off. And I don't have everybody up against me from exactly. day one, right? Exactly. But that's, that's how everybody, that's how all the guys, even if any builder I know, like you're doing that, you're always, whoever you hire to run your plan, like uh, to represent you for a build, usually is doing, they're front running all these discussions ahead of time so that when it comes down to it, you don't have a roadblock. And I think that's what makes a lot of people successful. And the one thing just to, on the duplex thing with the development no, you don't get the You don't get the same building that you really should get when you go that way. You get, um, you get far less and it's much worse, but you don't have the same. You probably save yourself a year and a half. Yeah. yeah, because you're not fighting and arguing with everybody. So maybe it balances out. But that's so stupid. Hey, I, I just went through something like this. I I, I posted about it on Twitter uh, recently. I was going to buy a place. I was going to apply for subdivision and I was going to keep the existing house and then try to sever five lots in the back because the way the, the property was structured, there was precedent. And uh, effectively, after talking to the city planner and doing my due diligence, they watered me down to basically, you're going to keep the original house and then have two severed lots in the back, even though I could contain five townhomes and there was precedent for it. But yeah, this is, stuff that happens all the time. And just on the detached, I wanted to say the development charges, if you've noticed, there's no purpose-built duplexes built while very few because nobody wants to pay whatever it is, 50K a pop per unit for a duplex. Mm -hmm. So everybody just builds a regular house with an income suite or a legal basement, which is effectively a duplex. And that's how they circumvent it. So, I mean, I think you're going to change. So you're going to save some money now in terms of these new proposed things. And I think they're net positive, but I think you're just like bringing on rental supply, which is great. But again, the, the root, the root issue is that people want home ownership. So what does that do for, for the, that? And the maybe rental I, supply should increase the amount of rental supply, which would therefore mean that rents should be, will be driven down, which will therefore mean that less investors will buy up single family homes to rent out because it's not as lucrative for them. That's the no, theme. no, they're gonna buy single family homes now and pay more than the look the at core. Week. You guys saw core is selling off. You saw um Mark Mitchell's video, core, uh, core no, uh, like, assets that company said they're gonna buy a billion dollars worth of real estate and 4,000 yeah, yeah, yeah. homes are now selling off those houses. Like, eight, uh, they had 81 houses that they purchased, and then a handful of them they've actually started selling off unrenovated and stuff like that, too. It's, it's not a good business model, Co cost of borrowing is going up. You know, we're barely making no, buy on a duplex in like Belleville, you know, like you need at least four units to be able to make sense of any cash flow anywhere in the GTA. Right. So it's really, it's really going to be boosting up, I think, supply for people. And I think if rents come down, you know, yeah, we've talked, we've talked about this a lot, Daryl is, you know, when you, when you uh, open up this to the market, more investors will be converting single family homes into duplexes and triplexes and stuff like that. Right. 
they're think gonna a pay lot. more than the end user for that house. They're gonna drive up the price in the area and then they're gonna chop up the house, right? Yeah. I think and you're both right on in this case. I think you're both right. So I I, I agree with TK long term. I think that's the theory. Long term, sure, yeah. Whether or not it plays out, I don't know. But I agree with Daryl too, because listen, nobody's stupid. We all knew this was coming, at least myself, my clients, like when you look at properties like this, like we're still looking for good frontage, right? Like if I'm buying in Scarborough, I, if I had the choice between a 42 footer and a 50 foot lot, I'm obviously going for the 50 footer because I know I can sever it right now in Scarborough. I, I don't know. It's been a while since I've done this, but like, I know they allow up to 45 footers to be severed. So all these are different considerations you're making. Same thing with this duplex and threeplex, right? Because what's your biggest issue with these places? Usually it's parking. It's always parking. So if you, have this now if this you have the zoning change anything that has that's built in a way where you can accommodate this additional parking for sure i think it's going to go up in price and that is something i think some people have already been taking into consideration when they've been buying these single family detached homes like even with my own house like there's certain things i was thinking about when i was buying it for the future because i just i just feel that there's pressure on zoning and you can't just keep tearing down bungalows and building monstrosities right because people want the missing middle so i think this is kind of like the start sure I, I, so I think but the, if you're the an policies... investor and it's got a laneway suite imagine how much more you can pay than the guy who wants to move into it because now not only are you going to maybe chop it in, into three but you can add another unit to it right even yeah. if you like like I, I i definitely long first of all i don't even know if long term this has an effect because how many people are really going to start buying these kind of units i mean first of all they have to come for sale but see right? how you just and they have to be, see how you that's a contradicting point so i guess daryl that's what um, i was going to say either it's every everybody's going to rush into the market and convert all the single family homes, the duplexes and triplexes, therefore creating higher prices no, for it single family no, homes. No, it doesn't take but, one. It takes one person to drive up the area price, right? And then okay. the next person has to drive it up and the next person has to drive it, right? But if that one has it, it the only... ability to do that rental purpose, the next guy's not going to pay more because he's not going to do that laneway suite, right? So it's yeah, either yeah, one, yeah. Or, one or the other. So it's either it drives up the prices because so many people are doing it right? Or nobody's doing it. Therefore, it won't affect rental values because if everyone does it and it does drive up the housing and it does increase more rental units, therefore rents will come down because there's more rental units making those projects no longer as viable as they once were, right? And so it's cyclical. I, there, I is, there is no like, hey, this is what's going to happen for sure. It's just- Not for sure, but that's I the see cycle of raising that's the cycle of the supply. Yeah. I still just see it short-term raising prices and I don't see enough people that are going to be interested in this, that it's going to make a dent to the rental supply. I really don't like, it's not that great an opportunity mm -hmm. and like you need people that are willing to do it and people willing to sell the properties. Like there's not that many people that think that this is like the best thing ever. Yeah. But I no development wrong. charges helps. Like I think to me, the policies lately, and I'm not, I'm no expert in this, but to me, like, the policies have been amazing lately, like since COVID, really. Like they've just been adding one thing in after another to help development. Like this is a big topic. You can see all three levels of government are like, what can we do? And I think Daryl's, they're listening to the show. They're definitely saying, right? They're following him on Twitter. They're they're listening to the show. They're saying, what does Daryl Frankfort think? I want to yeah, know how to create more supply, you know? It's true. <laughs> a, a lot, a lot of changes have been happening that are all really positive. That are, you know, look at look where we're at now. We're basically having the provincial government the slap around all the municipalities and saying you guys aren't doing it right. 
right? Agree or disagree? More to do with badge uh, than than us. Well, you know what, there. I think you're right. I think certain types of properties that lend themselves to the zoning benefit will pop for everybody else. This is going to be a, a, a non nothing burger, material. Yeah. yeah, but certain That's, properties will benefit I mean, for sure. Certain properties and certain people will definitely benefit. There's zero doubt about that. I just don't think it has an impact like they think, which is pretty much par for the course with these guys. Yeah, but I agree. I, I've been saying it for a while. Like, honest to God, I mean, give somebody an extra five stories for God's sakes, and and that makes a big dent, right? Like, relax the goddamn angular plane once you get past a certain height, and that makes an actual difference, right? If you take a site that should have had 200 units and it can now have 250, like that's a significant difference in the supply. And if you do that times, okay, what do we have? 252 cranes in the sky right now. Forget about all the sites that don't have cranes. Like if you just do that and you just give us more density, it, it makes probably all the difference, right? Mm -hmm. Which it seems to me like if Ford is really going to, well, if he wins and he actually does what he says he's going to do, it could have a very, very significant impact. It's going to be, I, I think, and that's why I was asking at the very beginning, like, wouldn't all the developers and all the real estate people and all of the, the builders be like, go vote for Ford, like right now, everybody in the office, go vote for Ford right now, because this is going to be a boom town and this is going to be great for everybody. Imagine what Toronto looks like when we're actually trying to build 150,000 homes a year. Like mm -hmm. really trying, not like putting up all the blockers and still building a ton of houses, right? But then that leads to the next question is like, if we have 252 cranes in the air, who the fuck is going to build even more? Like where are these people coming from that can actually build at the skill level, we need to build these complex buildings we're building. I mean, we're building buildings on top of 40-story buildings now, right? <laughs> and we're going in there with, like, cheap labor that just got off a plane, right? Or just got off of a boat somewhere. And I, I don't mean to be offensive, but that's the honest-to-God truth. Like, it, it was a joke 20 years ago that guys would wait at the train station or wait at the airport for, for potential employees, Right? And it's not a joke. So like, what's, this is, this is years ago. So what's it I think like? Innovation now? will solve that. We've talked about this a lot. There's a lot of innovation with uh, construction methods that's happening. I think we've seen a ton of it in the last little while. Uh, the States is huge. You know, obviously in Asia, they've got things figured out a lot, 10 years ahead of us. But I think innovation will be forced. And right now the innovation, the cost, the cost of innovation is the, is the barrier, right? So if all these things that are coming down the pipeline, actually happen, which means that developers are going to have a little bit more uh, meat on the bones, then they're going to be able to take those chances and say, okay, you know what, let's look at building one of these, uh, you know, prefab type of buildings. Let's go and look at, you guys know, um, um, what's the, Boxable? You guys know Boxable? Oh, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah I, so I actually thought about invest. I got their pitch deck, like, I, I don't remember how long ago, but yeah, but it's an awesome idea. I <laughs> Look, the idea is amazing. Yeah. I just want to see the execution, right? Because uh, execution, how do you even pop something like that? 400 square feet in your backyard. Like, I just don't know how that works in Toronto, but uh, the idea is amazing. Yeah, right. And so just little innovative ideas like this that are out there that, you know, will create housing, right? In one way or another. I mean, the shipping container thing, it's kind of like, you know, whatever. It doesn't really speed anything up or do anything. But these, make any yeah, but these, no, it doesn't these, work. 
these innovate these innovative type of products and they're and they've got it for um there's another company too that also has it for like mid-rise buildings right where they've got like a prefabbed uh mid-rise setup where you you're just putting pieces of puzzle together yeah there's companies that do it but there's no very few companies that actually hire them to do it right so exactly. you've got a the, lot the... of startups that are doing it and they've got like one project some like shitty holiday inn in the middle of nowhere they put like this ugly box together and it's like it's starting to happen but it, it's not there yet and what, what the main reason why it's not there yet is the public thinks it's worse right there's this public perception that it's like worse which is just completely backwards like imagine if they shipped you a bunch of boxes and you had to assemble your car at in your driveway Right, you hired a bunch of guys Somebody that you didn't even like know. Right, you needed an electrician, and you needed a plumber, and you need a, a, a mechanic. You need all these guys to come to your house and put it together on site, whether it's raining or not. Right, whether it's snowing or not. Um, is like that this how, is how they we assemble build houses, Tesla right? In the parking lot, or they used to anyway. Well, yeah. they built a tent to assemble a bunch of houses, but inside that tent was like some of the most revolutionary technology on the planet. Right. It wasn't just like a, a tent with a bunch of guys. But the, the point is, is like, even if they did do that for a little while to catch up, this is not the way to do things. Like to build a house on site, the way that we're doing it is not efficient on any level. And here's the right? other issue with, this, with the labor shortage, right? Who the hell wants to work outside all winter in Canada? Ugh. And so when you're, and when you're here and you have an opportunity to go into real estate uber driving uh, uber driving uber uh, drivers whatever it is you know I, I, there's a bunch of jobs that you know people get into because they feel like it's going to be a lot easier on their body well now if it's going to be like hey look we're going to put you in this factory where you're going to be working building houses you're going to do all the fun stuff all year round climate controlled and and everything that you know the benefits and all the things that you want as far as a career goes we're going to offer that to you and you don't even have to be outside in the winter imagine how much labor um uh, that's going to create create like Im imagine how many more people like especially coming to this country not everybody is from like northern europe and and uh you know wherever else it's cold you know <laughs> like they're coming from warm countries and they're looking you want me to do what so they get into it and all that kind of stuff but if you're able to say look you're, we're going to put you in this factory making 42 dollars an hour with benefits and you're going to be building houses i think you'll have a long sign-up sheet compared to uh you know doing it the old school way well, you're just competing with all the guys that are looking for for labor uh, already. So they're like paying more. And it's uh, like this I'll, constant battle. Well, look, I'll tell you an example. I have a client right now uh, just on the topic of this. He was looking to, he's building a custom home. To get the trusses, there's one supplier in all of, well, one supplier in Aurora that does most of the trusses here for construction for the GTA custom home builds. And he's booked out six, eight months out, even right now. So my, my buddy right now, buddy slash client, he is seriously considering start, starting a trust company. Like I'm not even joking. And oh this is what, God. because this, but the thing, because this is all you do is you have a broker and the broker sells you out. All you got to do is you need a 3000 square foot shop. Two and by you got to assemble. Yeah. And you're just assembling these things. <laughs> it's like the, the best pros, business ever. But this is, we don't it, have it, enough it. of this type of innovation here in Canada. This is why I don't think people are thinking like like the way this guy is, the way yeah. some of us are thinking, because you have to literally just solve the problem because the demand is there. And then there's another one like in Hamilton, and they're both booked out. 
Mm -hmm. Trust is just the simplest thing. My, my family owns a trust, a couple of trust plants actually. And it, I'll tell you when I used to build custom homes, like what a benefit I used to have just the fact that I was related to them because I got my trusses on time and I can't tell you how many projects sit for weeks waiting for trusses. Right. And what happens in, in construction, like if your carpenters are waiting for trusses, like they're not just sitting at home waiting. They're going to go start the next job. And guess it what It destroys happens? the flow, destroys it. I've been through this and it's a disaster. So this is it like is the trust thing. Somebody watching this YouTube video should hopefully take this idea and do it because oh, it's man. literally oh, easy money. <laughs> yeah, call oh, Daryl and do God. it. And then just uh, hook me up with trusses when I need them for, for putting it out there. We'll call it Vasily Trust Factory. No, keep my name out of it. I I, I want to stay low key. I we'll want to get off social media. Remember, right, right, right. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> so what else is here. on the go right Come now, Bass? What else you got on the go right now? Uh, you're helping people buy and sell real estate. Uh, any construction projects or anything like that that you're? You know what I from, from my last build, which was this cannabis place, which I think is one of the nicer places in Canada. This is after having toured a number of these shops, uh, probably forty or fifty of them throughout Canada. I learned that development is one of those really sexy things that looks great from the outside. And the thing is, every every guy that makes a bit of money gets attracted to development. I'm going to be a developer and off we go. And believe me, I, I've oh, learned sure. now, I, I did the same thing. I'm like, I'm going to be a developer and I did it. And what I learned is I'm never going to do it again. And I think it's great. And kudos to all the guys doing it. But again, it's a, it's a game for people with deep pockets because... The downside risk on development is so massive that the upside is just not worth it. To me, the way I see it as an accountant, somebody just strictly money-driven, the headaches mm -hmm. are not worth it. So I will probably never get into development. I mean, if I do something, it's going to be just my own personal stuff. But um, yeah, so for me, I think real estate, very, like, look, I listened to two Twitter spaces this week and uh, like, it was heartbreaking how, how much shit people talked about Toronto. Now, I will say... A lot of it was valid people, you know, the housing, we, we do have an affordability issue and that's going to lead to, it is leading to a bunch of problems. Like I'm here in Richmond Hill right now, my office, and I have a homeless encampment, like literally right next to me in this park. And it's like, this is Richmond Hill. We're not downtown Toronto. So it is a problem, but that's just the amount problem. of, yeah, the, the way people feel Toronto to me is it, it's insane. Like, you know, it's not what it used to be and all this stuff. And I guess my only takeaways like from that is that, Nothing is the way it was 20 years ago. If you think some other utopian city, either in the States or in Europe, yeah, it was also easier there 20 years ago, but it's just as hard there too. So I still think Canada and Toronto just in general is a great place. And let's not forget. So I, my dad lives in California and I used to work in the States. So I've been all over the States. I go to California. Listen, if I could live anywhere in the world, I would live in California. I don't give a shit Santa about Barbara. the high taxes. Santa Barbara, Santa Monica, Malibu. That's where I'd be. That's okay. That's what you're talking. Carlsbad. Now we're talking like Oceanside. I'm getting excited. You mm. want to be close to San Diego. That's the last affordable part, right? You don't want to be in North California. And at the end of the day, man, Toronto is great. The U S everybody says the U S is amazing. It is in many respects, but if you want to talk about inequality and if you want to be driving around strapped with a Glock, sure. Go for it. Go live in your gated community. Go pay 15, 20 G's a year for private school because the public schools are total trash. And that's how you got to live, right? And it's the, the haves and the haves nots. And in Toronto, we don't have that. Like you can send your kid to a public school and they will do fine. 
because our education system is good. You know what? French so immersion. I just, uh, well, I, my wife, anyway, I'm not going to get into it. Sure. <laughs> French immersion. Um, That's what I went to. I, I will tell you one thing about French immersion. No. I will, <laughs> French immersion has a good reputation. The, the issue they have is that you don't have the best selection of teachers, in my opinion, because it's based on speaking French. So then you're limited pool of talent, right? So you can only get the French speaking teacher in there. You're not getting the best teacher in there. So that's, I'm just going to leave you, you end, with that. You end French up emerging. doing a podcast or something when you're older, not, not with a real that's job. Right. Yeah. You end up yeah. doing a podcast when you're older and not liking the sound of French. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so yeah, man, that, that, that's the latest... with a podcast. That's what <laughs> French immersion leads to. <laughs> yeah. So that right. that's it. That's it for now, man. Right now, it's just again figuring out, um, just figuring out. Like I'm learning for myself, right? Like just how to run my own business, trying to uh, trying to stay out of trouble on social media. And uh, you know, the, the social media, man, TikTok to me is like honestly eye opening, like eye opening in terms of how good of a platform that is. Like honestly, if I was to stop everything, I would just stop everything. I would just stay on TikTok. Amazing. It's what, just what, what's good about it. What's what do you mean? When you say eye opening, good. Like what does that listen? Mean? The the arbitrage is okay. So, so do you know? So, who introduced me to TikTok is Agent Jean on Twitter. So, kudos to her because had it not been for her telling me, "Hey, go try it," I would have still been like, "Forget it, I'm not doing that bullshit." Who's that with that, the potato? Yeah, with the potato. <laughs> yeah, I was holding the potato. Yeah. So she's the one that told me about it, and uh, I guess the simplest way to explain it is like this: a lot of the creators or influencers on TikTok are young right? So call them, let's say they're 20 to 25, they're in their 20s. And let's say they're realtors or they're in real estate. But the demographics of the people using TikTok are a lot older as well. So what happens is there is a misallocation of creators that are that, that can relate to the older demographic. Because you have a 50 or 60-year-old scrolling through TikTok, they don't necessarily give a shit about the 25-year-old, what they have to say about real estate. So if you're a creator that's maybe a little bit wiser and older with more experience, there aren't that many older, there aren't 50 or 60 year old creators on there. There are some, but not many. And if there are on there, they're not usually very good. They don't, the, the videos are not engaging. So if you find yourself in there and you can create engaging content, you're capturing a lot of this attention that does not get captured by the younger people. So I think there's there's the, the opportunity there. I can tell you for myself, it's been incredible in terms of opportunity. So I'll leave it at that. I'm, I don't want to get specific into uh, what it's led to, but it, it's been great. And again, it's not that, just going on TikTok, posting a video is going to do anything. You have to put out stuff that, that, you know, that people can relate to and it's engaging. So that's a little bit of a hard part, but the opportunity is definitely there. Like if somebody it's definitely was definitely the start... most addicting platform. I got oh, rid yeah. of it because I was like, man, I'm like on this thing, like two hours a day when I first got it. And I was like, it's bad. So I, bad. I, I got rid of it a while back, but um... the, the, the big issue people, like the, the one thing I find people misunderstand about all of the social media. The reason why I want to get off of it is that a tweet will take, let's say, a minute to do. A TikTok will take five minutes to post. But the mental residue I have from posting it and then the coming back and checking and do I respond, do I not respond, mm. that consumes. I might time. not be on the yeah. platform, but it's like I'm. It's lost time, man. So that's yeah. why it's a, it's a, it's a very difficult. Um, it, it's difficult for me anyway to navigate, but I'm trying my best. Well, it sounds like you're doing well. I, I mean, you're doing a great job. You're, yeah. you're, you're out there. Yeah. You're you're taking on social media, even though, you know, you're saying you don't enjoy it, which is, you know, <laughs> commitment, right? Like, that's what that is. That's commitment and dedication to being successful. And 
Um, you know, I wish you nothing but the best. I hope you have a successful real estate career and that this goes really well for you and that you're the, you're the, you, we're coming on your show one day, you know, like that's, that's how I work. Hey, that's, how I, that's how I operate. Now. Absolutely. But, well, dude, before we finish, I have to ask something. Okay. You are the arm bar broker. Arm bar so broker. This, this yeah. is it, man. So I did, I did martial arts when I was a kid. I nice. never did jujitsu. So before COVID, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try the old man's game now because jujitsu, it's, I'm not going to get punched <laughs> in the face. I've been punched in the yeah. face enough. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. And, look, uh, at my, look at my nose. Tell me if I've been punched enough in my nose. Yeah. yeah. Are you looking great, man? Yeah. So here's my thing. So I started, I tried a couple of gyms. I found one I liked and I started, yeah. I started rolling regularly. And then, nice. you know what, man? So a lot of the guys are young and they were competing, right? So I'm there, you know, they're a bunch of 25 year olds. They're all like, I want to go, I want to compete. I'm there just to kind of like, you know, just have it together, man, just to not be as rusty. And I can't be like, Hey man, take it easy. None of this. So I'm rolling with them, but every single time I'm walking away with some sort of an injury. Like I have yeah. a guy that's like six foot three, 250 pounds. He'll put me in a guillotine and I don't want to tap right away. So we're sitting there and then I'm in pain and then I'm in pain mm. for like a week. So this is kind of like, I, I had to pull back because I was finding myself getting injured way too often. So yeah. any advice? Cause I want to get yes. back into it. But do. what do I do? You said, don't I just can't, it. you said, I just can't tap or I just can't tell them that, you know, I don't want to go hard. That's the problem. You have to go in there. It's the ego. You got to go in and you say like, look, cause when I'm injured, I got to do this. Like I say, look, I got this knee this week. My knees are bad. And so I got beat up on uh, Thursday night, big time, by guys who you know normally wouldn't be beating me up. But I told them, and I said, like, look, guys, my knees are bad. You know, this is what it is. I'm I'm not like trying to insult you by not giving you a good role tonight. Just you know, I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not able to do it. And so they were taking it easy on that kind of stuff. But you know, I'm losing positions and all that stuff, and I'm going down. You have to be you have to be willing to accept uh, that situation. So when I go with somebody who's, you know, maybe spazzy or whatever, then I just tell them, I say, look, we're going to go gentle. And if they start doing something, thing, I'll just tap. Okay. You win. Okay, good. Let's start again. But you know, let's try this position. Like you have to be very vocal about it. Otherwise it becomes like a, he thinks he's better than me. And sometimes just telling people, you know what? I do think you're better than me. Let's try to learn and try to get better by, by training with each other today. That ego all of a sudden disappears and they go, oh, okay, he says I'm better. Now I'm willing to just work smoothly and gentle. And that big guy's not just trying to tap you to, so, you know, he doesn't feel inferior because he should be bigger. And, and th that's a big part of it. Right. And that's something that when you learn that, which has taken me many years to get to that point where I, I no longer care about tapping, I no longer care if some white belt comes in and taps me or beats me or anything like that, that has no effect on me whatsoever. I'm there because I have a mission, which is to get better. And, you know, some days I'm up, some days I'm down. We, we call it some days I'm the hammer, some days I'm the nail. And once you get to that point, you're, you enjoy it. You love it because you never come out of there feeling like you lost or whatever. Right. So that's okay. my advice. I, it's good advice. We'll see if I can incorporate it because I don't want to be that guy. That's like, take it easy. Take, cause I feel I'm taking away that's from the, the training, ego. but that's I know how do we, yeah. You're, you would be that guy by not showing up anymore. So it's better that you come in and say, I'm that guy, but I'm here every week as a training partner. You're more value long-term to your training partners That's that way point. than you would be for three weeks and then you're injured and they never see you again. Can we, uh, I want to tie this conversation to real estate because I've seen people out there posting things in uh, like on Twitter and on forums where they're you know, like, what do you think I should do? I bought this and it's going down. And like, should I, should I cut bait? Right. Should I, should I tap out? Is it the right time for me to tap out, cut my losses, move on? Should I hang on and get injured? Like, 
it, it's great that you guys just had that conversation because I think there's a lot of people that are like, I don't want to tap out right now. Like I'm embarrassed. I don't want to lose this money or whatever, the, or I think it's going to come back and I'm going to try and like time it. And you know, like, do you, somebody posted it today. Like, do you think by 2024, the market will come back around and my pre-construction will be, you know, at, at 2021 prices by 2024. And it's like, do, what do you do now? Do you tap out? I, I know for me in the past, like in 2009, I had no choice. I had to tap out. I had to take my lumps, tap out and start again. Cause that was the best option. It was the worst option, like being in it and just losing everything and having to move. And like, it was a disaster. But if I didn't do that, I don't know what would have happened. Now, hindsight being 2020, if I would have been able to hang on for like a, a year or like 11 months or 13 months, it would have been a very different outcome. And I would have ended up not getting destroyed by the market, but I wasn't able to do what needed to be done. Like there must be so many people that are in that situation where it's like, nobody's going to lend me money for this. I don't know what to do. I have no family. Nobody's willing to lend me money and I'm fucking scared. Right. Like the what conversation I had with, with Mark Morris recently, I interviewed him on my channel and we talked about this exact same thing, mostly on the pre-con side, but we both came to the same conclusion with, with pre-con, for example. And this is why I keep saying on Twitter that the stress sales, assignment sales, it's all just a marketing ploy. Nobody, majority of people are not going to sell and take a loss. They will kick the can down the road until they can't and until it becomes a negotiation with the builder for them to give the unit back and then be sued for whatever the difference the builder sells the unit. So that's effectively what's going to happen most likely on that end. But in terms of regular people, man, listen, I can't speak for everybody else, but I've had this conversation with different people. And sometimes when that question is being asked, I feel the facts are always not on the table. It's like, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? But it's like, but like you're asking me this question, but like, you know, your parents are ready to bail you out. So it's not, you don't really need to do that, but it's like, but they're asking for this validation. Like, look, nobody wants to lose their house. If it was me, I don't know, man, I would probably work three jobs. Like I would do whatever I can not to lose my house. Like I bought, here's one, here's one I never understood. So when I bought my first house, which was, I can't even remember, like uh, 11 years ago, I couldn't afford the house with that. Like I moved in immediately two weeks. I, I, I had built a basement apartment. I had my buddy move in and that covered half my, like my mortgage payment, my utilities. If it wasn't for him, I would have no house or I would end up having to buy a condo, which there's nothing wrong with buying a condo, then go through moving up the property ladder, which I can't stand this term because ideally just try to buy what you can, if you can, even if it's decrepit condition, slum it, be house poor, for whatever, just slowly build it up so that you're not going through the transactions. It's counterintuitive for me to say that, but that's what I believe and that's what I did. So look, man, if you can hang on, like it de depends, how hungry are you? Sure. So if you if you are willing to sacrifice for next year and just disappear and work, and I don't want to say Uber because I think Uber is not whatever, then you know keep it. But it, like nobody wants to lose a house, man. No, especially if it's your primary residence. Like that is like the okay, worst thing yeah. ever. I'm like, a, I'm, it is the worst thing you could ever go through, especially if you're married with kids, man. Yeah, it is like hell on earth. In, in my situation, like I was paying fifteen grand a month in juice. I had no job. The market went from the houses I built were supposed to sell for like two two point one million dollars. 
and the market just it wasn't like this it wasn't like this market at all the market literally just died it's like money disappeared nobody was buying nobody wanted anything to do with real estate nobody wanted to lend against real estate it just died like all of a sudden it was insane and now it's like liquidity is drying up but it's like it's a slower pace and prices are dropping but my house went in like three months it went from 2.1 million to 1.365 million dollars with offers of like 1.1 million okay it was like it was so different than right now now i i mean i wasn't a normal homeowner i was like over levered i was like subprime like you wouldn't believe like i was the epitome of the worst way you could do things right but that was the market it was like just young stupid jump in everybody's jumping in like it was crazy though but for me to hold on i would have had to come up with so much money and so like you know in an environment where it wasn't possible now it's a little bit different but like when you're property let's just say for argument's sake like you you bought something eight months ago and now it's like two three hundred thousand dollars worth is the advice still like wait till it comes back get three jobs like you have people out there on social media saying it's not coming back for like 12 14 years like it did in the 80s right yeah well because we're at the end of the show i'm gonna uh end it with a good common expression that's going to answer your question daryl and then Vas, oh. please provide us with a shameless plug so our listeners can find out how to follow you and get more information that was uh, shared with us today. This is the expression, Daryl. Are you ready? I'm ready. You can't save your face and your ass at the same time. <laughs> oh. That's what it is. Yeah. So either you got to bail or you got to make it work. Vaz, where can everyone find you? Vast City Estates on Twitter. Just do that. Or City Vast Estates on TikTok. City Estates on Twitter and TikTok. We really appreciate it. Uh, City uh, Estates, yeah. City Thanks, estates. guys. And Daryl, I, I was actually tripping out about this interview because you didn't tell me what we're going to talk about. I was like, what are we going to do here? But we you know what? Know. It turned out pretty good. Okay, so. We never know. Great. Listen, we never tell anybody. We don't even know where it's going to go. And, and that's the whole thing with this show is it's just a conversation. You're not if you learn something by watching this show, I mean, if you listen, you're going to learn something, right? But it's not the purpose. It's just to be a bunch of guys talking about real estate, what's 